0: I pass on to you what was, everybody shout, most important, and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins just as the scripture said. Shout just as the scripture said. All right. And then uh, verse 25 of Luke 15. Meanwhile, the oldest son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. He asked one of the servants, what's going on? Your brother's back, he was told. Your father has killed the fattened calf. We're celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry, wouldn't even go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, all these years I've slaved, shall slave for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet, when this son of yours come back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. His father said to him, look, dear son, you've always stayed by me. And everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate. Shout had to celebrate. This happy day, for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. Shout amen? Amen. Please be seated. Lord, work miraculously as we learn and together. In Jesus' name, amen. For those who are just joining us, this is a series we've called Starting Point. Here's the premise of the series. Uh, that like everything else in your life, our faith has a starting point. For those of us who are skeptics or seeking, I hope that this series will be a fresh starting point as we try to help you to figure out where to start in your faith with Jesus. For those who have been with the Lord for a long time, I hope this will be a fresh starting point as we help you to prioritize uh, the most important things in our faith As 1 Corinthians 15 points out uh, in verse 3, Paul says, I pass on to you the most important. Everybody shout, most important. Most important. So today, over the last couple of weeks, we said, uh, here's where you ought to start. Number one, you need to figure out who Jesus is. And uh, hopefully you'll come to understand that he's fully God and fully human through his death and resurrection is what sparked this movement that we call the church. Number two, got to figure out what you're going to do about sin. Are you a mistaker? Everybody shout mistaker. Or are you a sinner? That's the question. And, and, and if you conclude I'm a sinner, do you understand that that's a starting point? That's not an ending point with God. You start with the fact that I'm a sinner. Number three, what I want to talk about today It's just the lavishness and the extraordinary nature of God's grace. Come on, everybody shout unbelievable. 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 I mean, here's what I'm convinced of. If when you think of God's grace your heart doesn't start beating, you don't get excited. Then you don't get it. If when you think of God's grace, you're not kind of baffled and confused and at the same time thrilled. You just don't get it. Because God's grace as expressed in Jesus, as reflected in that verse, Christ died for our sins is just so incredible. So Today, I want to just kind of challenge you around this question, which is basically, is God's grace really that good? Ask the person next to you, is God's grace really that good? Ask him. Several weeks ago, I came in here bragging about going to Redwood Grill, and I I shared with you all several dishes that I had, and I talked to you about the bread pudding. And I told you how incredible the bread pudding was, and I told you about how to order, ask for that secret bread pudding, it has the chocolate and the vanilla, all that stuff on there. And, I, and as I started to talk, I, I almost started shouting, I just started remembering the experience. And so, and so, uh, a couple of weeks later, I went into it with Grill and I ran into some of our NBC folk there. And one guy at a table, as I passed by, I said, Pastor, come over. I came over. He said, Pastor, listen, when you started talking about the bread pudding, I just asked myself, is it really that good? <laughs> he said, But Pastor, look at my plate. It's empty. It is that good. Come on, tell the next tell the person next to you, God's grace is that good. Now, 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 let me just let you in on a little secret here. Listen, if you are breathing and alive, God's extraordinary grace has already been at work in your life. It's just unbelievable. When I say it's unbelievable, I mean it in terms of for for folk who really kind of get it, it's astonishing. It's unlike any other experience that you're going to find in the human context. Or I say it's unbelievable, I, I'm suggesting that it is so outlandishly astonishing. For some of us, we just can't believe it. But we just can't believe that that grace, maybe it's for the preacher, maybe it's for the priest, maybe it's for my grandmama. Me. Can't believe it. After the last gathering, a fellow who I love comes here all the time. He walked out of he here, tears running down his cheeks. And, and I gave him a hug. And he said, This was a hard one for me today. I said, Why? He said, I said, You're having a hard time with that grace. He says, Yeah. And, and, and I just said, Lean into the love of God. And, 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 and we didn't talk long, but I knew what he was thinking. He was thinking about when I think of my life and think about my history and think about all the mistakes that I've made and think about all the mistakes that I continue to make. And you're talking about this outlandish, outrageous gift of God's grace. I just can't imagine it for me. I'm here to tell you, it's really that good. Now, when we meet Jesus in Luke 15, it's important to understand that Jesus comes from a larger story. It's a story that we find in the biblical text. It starts with Genesis. And if you look close enough, you'll see this outlandish grace working its way through the brokenness of the human experience. So in Genesis chapter 1, the first three chapters... You get this amazing picture that's painted in the midst of a patriotic, very broken society. This Jewish writer, through Revelation, paints this amazing picture of a garden scene of a man and a woman, Adam and Eve, and man and woman have have equality among themselves. There's justice among them. That the relationship between humanity and God is a sweet fellowship, that that, that the relationship between humanity and the animals, nobody's trying to kill each other or eat each other. That the relationship between God and the environment is, is the humanity is caring for that. And, 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 and what, the, what the revelation is, is that, that, that this picture, no war, no sickness, no dying, this picture is God's intent. Shout intent. Then comes sin. And God has already said the moment you eat of that fruit, that's when you're going to die. They ate of the fruit, you know the story, but they didn't actually die then. They actually lived another 900 years but death had been introduced, but they lived another 900 years and right in the midst of that brokenness, you saw God's grace. Fast forward to Genesis 12, the Abraham talking about the story of God because Jesus comes out of the story of God. You'll find that Abraham didn't pick God, God picked Abraham. That's another expression of God's grace. Listen, let me just say to you since you've, you know, since since you're here, at the end of the day, Jeremiah says, before you were in your mother's womb, God knew you. And claims you long before you picked God. God picked you. That's grace. Amen. Shout, unbelievable. unbelievable! 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 And in the story of Abraham in Genesis, uh, you get uh, this this beautiful passage here. Uh, what God promises Abram: "I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous." Everybody, shout, famous! And you will be a blessing to others. Even if you're not a Christian, you look at this text just historically, it blows your mind because the text comes 4,000 years before there was an Islam or Judaism or Christianity. And yet these three great religions all trace their beginning back to Abraham. Is his name famous? Can you shout God's grace? Then the next verse we see how. How he says at the end of the day, I'll curse those who curse you and, and, and all the families on the earth will be blessed through you. And we believe that what he's pointing to is the is coming of his son, Jesus. And then we just move through uh, the, the development of the nation of Israel. And we see when the nation of Israel exists, talk about God's story as it unfolds. Exodus chapter 20, watch this, another expression of God's grace. The people are there. They're ready to get the Ten Commandments. These are God's people. He says, then God gave the people all these instructions. I am the Lord. What did he say here? Your what? Sout loud. Shout loud. Your? loud. Your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. And then he proceeds to give them the rules, the commandments. Here is the teaching about God's grace. He, these folk, are not his people because they keep the rules. He gives them the rules because he's already made them his people. And so with God, relationship comes first, rules second. Can somebody shout grace? That's God's story, and it works its way through David. It works its way through the prophets as Isaiah proclaims about this one who was Wounded for our transgression and bruised for our iniquity. And then finally Jesus shows up on the scene and partly he's missed in the Gospel of Luke chapter 15 verse 1 through 3. Partly he's missed and he's misunderstood because he is the very expression of the heart of God. He is the very expression of grace. And so here you get the conflict in the text tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of the religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people as IRS workers. Can you believe that? <laughs> See what you're listening. <laughs> Even eating with them. What was the point? Pharisees says, Watch this. We don't recognize you. You can't be God. Because when we think about our history and who we are, we've been primarily focused on the behavior of people rather than on the relationship, what happens to people when they know God. And we see you hanging out with sinners, and the God that we know does not hang out with sinners. And that's part of what the problem was, that guy who was leaving the earlier gathering, he was speaking, you know, the God that I know, the God that I have a picture of, he doesn't hang out with sinners like me. But the text says, oh no, God's grace is so unbelievable. As a matter of fact, he showed up on the earth just to find sinners like you. Can you sound unbelievable? another person next to you. He's talking about you. He's talking about you. Yes. Yes. The beat of God's heart. So, as we look at the story, we have to ask the question, okay, what is it that makes God's grace so unbelievable, so astonishing, so hard to conceive? Well, here's the first thing that makes God's grace so unbelievable. It doesn't fit our experience of life. It it just doesn't work like life works. It's difficult. Let me show you. For example, in life, here's here's what we've at least been taught. If you go to school and if you earn an A, you get a what? Hey, Uh-oh, y'all a little confused. Let's try it again. (laughs) This is how it's supposed to happen. I'm not suggesting it happens all this. This is how it's supposed to happen. So just work with me here. If you go to school and you earn an A, you get a... If you earn a C, you get a... If you earn an F, you get a... You get what you earn. Or think about your job. If, If you work hard and earn a promotion, now I'm saying this is how it's supposed to work you get a what? Or in the military, if you work hard and you earn an advancement in rank, you get a higher yes. Or if you're an athlete, if you work hard and prove that you're better than the others who are competing for that particular position, you'll get that position. So kind of built into the way things work in life, hey, I got to be kind of better than the folk around me and prove that I'm good enough by earning it. And if I don't earn it, I don't get it. I only get what's due me. It shows up in some families, right? We unintentionally kind of say, we we basically teach, you know, you got to earn certain things. And if we we try to teach responsibility, that makes sense. Except for when it comes to love, we should never teach you got to earn love. But in this text, it's it's just not familiar. Let me tell you why. The youngest son wakes up one day and he says to his father, Dad, you're living too long. You're supposed to be dead by now. So since you're not dead, can you just go ahead and let's speed up things and give me my share so I can get out of here? I don't want to live under your authority anymore. And so the old man gives him what's coming to him. He converts it to money. He goes to a far land, which represents as far uh, into sin as you can get. Uh, He he spends the money, according to his older brother, on prostitutes. And then he ends up in a hog pen, almost about to eat with the hogs, which for a Jew is like you can't get any worse. You're like the scum of the earth. You're a notorious sinner. And then in that space, he recognizes, I'm talking about this unbelievable grace of God, watch it. He recognizes, he says, look, I don't have to stay here. I can go back home. Now, my daddy won't accept me as a child. I forfeited all my rights to be a child of my daddy, but maybe I can convince him to accept me as one of his hired hands. And so the text says he rises, he gets up, and he returns Home. And then verse 20 picks up as, as, he's re, as he's coming back home. You put verse 20 up there. Notice what it says about the father. Now, this we just don't really recognize. But, but, but this is what comes. He says, so, so, so as he returns his father, and we talked about this last week, and while he was still a long way off, the father saw him coming and filled with love and compassion. He ran to his dirty, smelly, hog-filthy son and kisses him and embraces him. And this is supposed to be a picture of God. Can you say unbelievable? unbelievable. I, mean, he, I mean, I mean, some of us same way. I might kiss you after you go take a bath. I remember my mother, I used to go uh, catching chickens. Uh, was my, I had all kinds of jobs growing up. And so this one was, I work in the, in the chicken yard. And, and uh, I was about 16, 17 years old, getting, getting there by 2 o'clock in the morning. This Y'all go to Kentucky Fried Chicken, Well, I was the one who helped you have some chicken. <laughs> you ought to be saying, thank you, all right. <laughs> so I mean, I'll be catching, so in, in the chicken yard, you catch chickens, you know, you catch them by their legs. You can catch them like six at a time, put them in the crate. And so as you catch them, they, 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 they poop on you. And so when I got home about 6 o'clock in the morning, come on now, I smelled like that boy coming out of the hog pen. My mom's window would be at the, at the window. She then went up, and the truck would put me off, and I'd come through the yard. And she said, boy, don't you come through that front door. She said, go around the back and strip. I smell you from the road. <laughs> <laughs> then go right in that bathtub. Well, that's how life works, right? That's just kind of what we do. But that's not what the God figure does in this, in this sex. He does not say go to the bath, though. He does not say go take a bath. He runs out and embraces the boy in the midst of all of his smelliness and his stinkiness and his rottenness. And he kisses him and he loves him. Unbelievable. Remember, I said last week, he doesn't act like us. He he did not. He didn't say, "Give me a long explanation, so that I can punish you as you tell the story and remind yourself how bad you are." The boy confessed, "I'm a sinner. I'm broken. That was sufficient. I, I, I accept responsibility." He did not say to the boy. I'm going to have to put you on a repayment plan. He'd have spent all the, daddy, the money that the daddy gave him. Yeah, I mean, if it was us, we'd say, well, we might take it back. But how are you going to pay back that half a million dollars? He did not say to the boy, I'm going to put you on probation. I'm talking about how life works, y'all. This is how life works for us. But this God figure, he doesn't say that. He doesn't say, young man, I'm glad you're back. Well, here's what we're going to do. You're going to be on probation for the next six months, and if you do all right, I'll promote you from servant to a boy. He didn't say that. He didn't come at condemnation with the boy. Praised him. Kissed him. says that's the picture of God I'm trying to get you to see you know if more people saw that picture of God there wouldn't be enough seats in this place if your family members saw that picture of God they'd come to church with you if your colleagues saw that picture of God they'd want to know more about him got to believe the picture first for yourself. Can you say unbelievable? So then fit our experience of the world. Secondly, something nagging about grace is that inside of grace priceless gifts are given to those who don't deserve it. Doesn't earn it. Watch it in the text in Verse 23 and 24. You drop it up there. Uh, The father says to the boy. It says to the servant, "Go get a rope, get a ring for his finger, get sandals. Priceless gifts to those who love him." Well, help me to understand how this works, Pastor. Well, Christ died for our sins. Okay, I get that, but how does that relate? to the boy getting gifts that he didn't deserve. I like how y'all ask your questions. So let me answer it by story. You've heard the story. You'll recognize the story in your own lives. A young adult, about 22, 23 years old. He's been working for the last three, four years. he's saved up a little money. He goes to the car dealer. He's had his eye on this car for the longest. And he's got a little money for a little down payment. Picks out the car, sits down, looks at the, tells the guy across the table, here's the money that I have. The guy says, that's great, but I'm going to have to run your credit because it's a whole lot more than what you've got. runs the credit of the young man, and he comes back and says to the young man, I'm sorry. Your credit will not support this payment. The young man droops his head in total disappointment. But then the salesperson, having sold a lot of cars, says, but, everybody shout but. Oh, I love this. But if you've got a relative who's got some good credit and you can get the relative to come and co-sign for you, you can have the car. Because I'm going to give you the car not on your credit, but on the basis of your relative's credit. Come on down, y'all ain't listening. <laughs> And so the boy said, oh, yeah. And he runs home and he talks to his older brother. His older brother's got impeccable credit. So his older brother said, well, I don't know that I can trust you, but I love you. Come on now. And if things mess up, I've got enough in my bank account to cover it. So I got more than credit. I got some bank account. Y'all listen. So he runs down there and he signs the paperwork. And the boy drives off with a car that he couldn't afford. Oh, Hamilton, what are you talking about? I love how y'all ask your questions. When it says that Jesus died for our sins, what it's actually saying. Let, let's go to Romans. Let's go to Romans uh, 5. Watch this. Romans 5. I love this. Romans 5, 6 through 8. Put it up there. Romans 5, 6 through 8. If you got it, you put it up there. If you got it, if you got it. put it up there. <laughs> Maybe it doesn't have it. <laughs> but here's what it says. It says, it says, it says, says wow, we, oh, here you go. let go there. It says, you see at just the right time. Watch this. When we were still what? We didn't have any credit. We were broke and busted. Christ died for the ungodly, for the broke the busted. Folks didn't have no credit. It says very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But shall but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still bad creditors, while we were still sinners, Christ put his credit on the line for us. He died for us. All right, let me help you get it. Come on, come on, we're not there yet. Here's what Christ says. You think that you got to get into a relationship with me by promising to do better. But your credit's not good enough. Because I know that when you promise today, young man, a week from now, you're going to mess up again. So Jesus says, if you want a trustworthy relationship, use my credit plan. And when he died on the cross, here's what he was doing. Jesus was taking his character and leveraging it in place of your character. He was taking his morality and leveraging it in the place of your morality. He was taking his faithfulness and leveraging it in the place of your unfaithfulness. And what he was saying is that at your worst, come on now, don't worry about it. God won't kick you out because it's my character, my morality, my faithfulness that brings you into this relationship. and you sound unbelievable. Wow. Somebody say, wow. Wow. My goodness. Here's what I'm trying to get you to see. If you put uh, Ephesians 2, 4 up on the the verse 1 and 4, uh, here's another way of talking about it. Uh, In in Ephesians uh, 2, verse 1 and 4, if you guys got it, you'll find... Verse 1 says, though we were dead in our sins and trespasses, he brought us to life in Christ. Verse 4 says, but because of his, everybody shout, "great great love. Now, you don't really, you miss this. You have to get it in the Greek. Because in the Greek, the word great is translated lavish. Because of his lavish love for us. His lavish love for you. God who is rich. Somebody's bank account yard in mercy. Here's what I'm trying to get you to see. God does not love you the way your ex-wife loves you. He does not love you the way your boyfriend loves you. He does not love you the way your boss loves you. He does not love you even the way your children love you. They like you today. Tomorrow we'll see. God has a lavish love. He's not a Sunday God and don't see you Monday through Friday. He's got a lavish love and it covers you. Even in your worst sin, it still loves you. And it's with that lavish love that he draws us. Shout rich in mercy. That's the third reason that God's grace seems so unbelievable. It doesn't fit our human experience. It's it's these priceless gifts being given away without earning them. It's, It's full of mercy. You know, I once heard this, and I think it's a good translation. Mercy is when you do not get what you deserve to get. You deserve to be punished, but you don't get it. You know, David had an affair with Bathsheba, had a husband killed to cover it up. He deserved to be killed, but God spared his life. Can you shout grace? Now, the consequences ripple through through generations. Grace does not block the consequences, but it spares your life. Grace, mercy is... God doesn't give me what I deserve. Grace is when God gives me what I don't deserve. The fact is, for me, grace is inside of mercy. Mercy is inside of grace. So when that boy comes back, Dad, what he deserved was a punishment. He threw away Dad's money, his lifetime savings, the portion of it, but what dad gave him was a party can you say mercy that said let the word go forth throughout the neighborhood i got a big house and we're gonna party tonight bring everybody into the house turn out get the turn player come on now get some people who can play some music Come on now, let's get the music popping. My boy was lost, but now he's found. He was dead, but now he's alive. I'm going to elevate him in the crowd, and I can just imagine when the older brother comes home. Come on now. He hears the music popping. It's the music of grace. He doesn't understand it. He hears the dancing, shuffling. It's the dance of mercy. He does not understand it. And, and and I can just imagine they doing the electric slide. Come on now, celebrate. They doing the running man. Come on down. They, they, they celebrated that the boy was lost, but he's home safe. Oh, the son, verse 25, comes in. and says, Oh, they hear the music. Ooh, the dancing. What is that? Somebody shout grace. He doesn't recognize it, didn't recognize it. He calls the servant, he says, what's going on up in there?" The servant says, uh, he, he expected the boy to rejoice. The servant says, um, "Your brother's back." And you could see the anger begin to build up in this older brother. He says, "The father, your dad killed the fatted calf." And uh, we celebrate. We somebody fell a few moments ago during the lecture slide, but we got him back up, and we (laughs) celebrating because he is safely returned. Now, watch watch this. Watch this. See the older brother's representative of Israel of the Pharisees and all that, right? So it really was the task of the older brother to actually go look for the younger brother. But he didn't. He stayed at home. The reality is, y'all, listen, in each of us, there is some younger brother and some older brother. The younger brother means that we will come to a time in our lives when we will just desperately need God's amazing, unconditional, astonishing grace. And then there are other times in our lives, not by intention, but we just fall there. When we kind of believe that we have reached where we are in our faith by our own efforts, we've concluded that we've kind of earned it. So we look down our nose at the other sinners. And So the first thing we see in the boys is anger. He's angry. I would expect him to be excited, but he's angry, and his anger causes him to be unwelcoming. He doesn't welcome his brother. The second thing we see is, is, is his, in his actions, we see what I, I, I call, uh, that's first is his attitude, second is his action, is, is he's, he's unaware. He's rebellious, and he's unaware of his own contradictions. Let me prove it. Self-righteous is a way of talking about it. In, in, in verse uh twenty-six twenty-seven, I think put it up there. Uh, here's the conversation between him and his and his dad. So his dad comes out, he won't go in, so dad comes out. And the dad says, pleads with him. Come in, come in. And and, and rather than responding to that, he answers dad. He says, Dad, he said, listen. He says, Uh, I've been slaving for you all my life. All these years, I've slaved. Everybody say slaved. Slaved. For you. And never once refused. Say refuse. Refuse. To do a single thing you told me to. Watch this. I'm going to come back to slave in a minute. Watch this. If you go back one verse, you see the verse will say that he refused to go in. And so dad came out and begged him, please come in, please come in, please come in. And he refused to do what dad asked him to do. But then the next verse he says, not one time have I ever refused to do a single thing that you've asked me to do. You, 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 you see the point that I'm trying to make here is that he thought that his righteousness was perfect. He thought that his obedience was perfect, but, 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 but his, his, his righteousness and his, his obedience was imperfect. And he was blind to it because he concluded that he was better than that brother who went into the home. Who do you think you are spiritually better than? All right, watch this. Everybody shout, "Slave!" This is word right here, slaves. I've slaved for you. What kind of relationship is that, boy? Y'all asking good questions. Where's my, my, my? Uh oh. Well, <laughs> we're gonna have to make it up. So just pretend you can see here. (laughs) And I'll write invisibly. (laughs) Everybody write, everybody say obedience. Obedience. So so the question is, what kind of obedience do you have? When the average Jew heard about uh, the word slave, they went and stopped and said, wait a moment, why are you calling yourself a slave? Because it triggered a memory about when Israel was in Egypt, slaves. But, of course, God delivered them, and so they're not in bondage. They're free. So why would you say you're slaving for your dad? Somebody shout attitude. Here it is. For him, perhaps, obedience, draw a line, was about bondage. You know how your obedience is about bondage? It's when you obey out of fear. And that's not the obedience that God's called. You know why? Because fear-based obedience never lasts. When I was growing up, I got in trouble all the time, and my mother didn't have any trouble with spanking me. And the spankings would escalate. And at the top of the escalation, some folk would call it today abuse. I never quite understood this, but when mom got tell me where y'all can relate. When mom got ready to spank me, she would tell me to go get the instrument of my punishment. you <laughs> <laughs> out in the country said, so go get a limb. Me to go get the instrument, so I'd go find the smallest twig I could. Yeah, yeah, ready? In the house, come on, go get a belt. I'd go get the belt off of her, 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 her bath cloth. Wait, <laughs> I mean, what are you sending me to get the different? But you're going to punish me. But the spankings would be so severe because it would achieve her most immediate goal, which was to create in me some sense of fear about the consequences of irresponsibility. And the fear would last for about, Two weeks, and it would wear off. It would wear off. Fear-based obedience doesn't last. It's not if he's trying to get. Uh, uh, perhaps it is the obedience. Watch this. I've been working. I've been slaving. I've earned what's mine. And you're going to ask me to divide. The boy that spent all of his, he's going to come back, and I'm going to have to divide minds with him. Come on. Well, this is obedience that is focused on merit. I've earned it. Sometimes, if you're not careful, your faith can slip into a merit faith. I'm so good. God is blessing me because I earned it. Because I've been so faithful. Then... When you get sick of some tragedy comes, some crisis comes, it destroys your theology. Because you say, God, if I've earned it, why did you allow this mess to happen to me? So, merit-based obedience is not sufficient. What God wants, watch this, is an obedience, watch this, that is love-based. All right, let me take you back to my mama. I was about 15 years old. I went downtown, I did something crazy. Don't ask me what it is, I'm not going to tell you, not your business. <laughs> I got home, and my mama was waiting for me, my grandma. She said, come here, boy. And with trembles, I walked in. And she said, get close. And I was trembling more. My mama, my grand was known for I. She was just, she could, she could, she'd turn into a kung fu woman in a minute. (laughs) (laughs) Watch what she did. She said, said, I've spanked you. I've taken things from you. I've punished you. And you're getting worse, not better. She said, I don't know what else to do with you. And then this woman of iron melted and started to cry. And I had never seen my grand aunt cry. And as she cried, I cried. And suddenly, she had replaced the belt by revealing her heart. And I went out of that room determined to change my life. Not because I was afraid, not because I thought I had earned something, but I didn't want to make my mom cry anymore. I didn't want to break her heart anymore because she had taken this little boy who was scarred and who was a throwaway and she had said, this is my child, I'll claim him. And and, and the least I could do was respond to Her love. At the end of the day, y'all, you know I can tell you all day long you're going to go to hell for your sins. That's never going to help you to get saved for long. But if I can show you the heart of God, stressed out on the cross of Calvary, shedding his blood that you might be redeemed, it is a response to love. end of the day, what the dad says to the boy, you're missing the point. You're talking about a goat. Son, all I have is yours. You've missed it. You've been blinded. So you're talking about what he done messed up. It's not like he's still in the hog pen. I could understand if I was throwing him a party for being in the hog pen, but he returned. Come on, can you say return? He returned. That's, that's the message for somebody in here, that God is trying to get you to see that he wants you to return. Don't wait till you clean up yourself. Some people say, when I get it together, I'll come, Lord. You know what you like? You like the fellow who had an accident, and the Amalans people found him on the edge of the cliff. They started coming out. He said, don't come, don't come down, don't come down. They say, why? They say, because y'all are all cleaned up and everything. And I got a broke arm, my leg is broken, I'm all bloody, and you mess up. Since so it's going back to the hospital. When I fix my broke leg and fix my arm and get myself cleaned up, I'll come on to the hospital. You see, if you can fix your broke leg and fix your broke arm and clean up your bread, your blood, you don't need the hospital. If you can redeem yourself, you don't need Jesus. If you can forgive yourself, you don't need the church. But if you're like me, a sinner who needs to be redeemed by love is love, you need Christ. You need the church. So he invites us to love is love. And he says to all of us, come on home. And he says to the older brother, come on back in this house. Because the party is not just for your brother. You see, he was dead. He was lost. And whenever there's a family member that is dead and lost, the family is broken. But when that one who was dead and lost has come back to the family... There's a place for you that nobody can feel but you in the heart of God. When that one has come back, the party is for everybody. Welcome to the party. Give God a hand.